Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc. that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express uh, as we make our way to Milan. So I'd like to thank all of you for listening to this episode, and I'd like to especially thank our backers for their support. We appreciate your ears in an undying way. Uh, and I promise that's not foreshadowing. So I'll start with introductions to my right. Hello, I'm Mike, and I'm playing James Robert Fraser, who has a bit of a dodgy knee at the moment. Hmm. You know, it, it does seem that uh, every time Mr. Fraser is asked to uh, do a service, it, someone's asking him to sit down and cut the swelling. It's just <laughs> yes. the way things seem to go today. Yes, he, he has seen rather a lot of physicians on their journeys. <laughs> That's very true. Um, so we are, it is important to point out, we are in the missing Lady Elizabeth formation tonight. Uh, and so she will not be with us tonight. Uh, and so that way we shift to the end of the table. Hi, this is Giles, and I'm playing Simon Griffith. And I think we're approaching a tunnel. Mm, you'd probably have to stick your head out of the window to be absolutely sure. And I'm not sure the porters would appreciate that, nor the conductor. But should you choose to do so, please direct your um, dice rolls at your keeper. Uh, to his right. Hi, I'm Miranda, and I'm playing Maggie Bellinger, who is eternally grateful for Lady Elizabeth allowing her to borrow some jewelry. Yes, it was her aunt's copper bracelet, if memory serves correctly, that you now uh, have so. around your wrist. And 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 hopefully that will uh, ward off just these calamitous feelings that the arm is seeming to bring on on a regular basis. Uh, and that means that we're two last, but most certainly not least. I'm Martin, and I'm playing Richard Courtney. And uh, Richard's definitely staying away from chairs this time around. Yes, he's just woken up from a rather compelling or disturbing dream. Yes, the, the world is a little bit more crisp to you, Professor. Things are a little more contrasty. It's like somebody's gotten into your brain and punched up all of the colors and the blacks. Yeah, most strange. Most strange. Mm, very much so. So we begin play in the saloon car with one James Robert Fraser, who has, on doctor's orders, been told to relax and to keep calm and to carry on some way that will not cause his leg to swell. And so as you gain a closer and closer proximity to the tunnel, this is fairly simple to hear from the bubbling of the guests nearby, you've decided to relax, stoke up your pipe, and get off that leg. Have a, a nice uh, pot of tea um, and uh, perhaps a, a French fancy or a, a, a sandwich or something like that. Uh, but uh, yes, I'm, I'm more kind of sitting, or Mr. Fraser is more kind of just sitting, nursing his aching knee, uh, ruminating on the uh, events um, uh, earlier in the day um, and exactly 
what happened um, in that carriage earlier on, because he knows that he has, he has suffered uh, some amount of damage to that to that kneecap, and uh, but he can't for the life of him figure out exactly how that happened, because he goes over and over the events in his head, and he is absolutely certain that nobody physically touched his knee. But somehow, his, uh, his his kneecap is all but shattered. So he's sitting watching the uh, watching the countryside roll past as they head towards the tunnel, and uh, puffing on his pipe, slightly worried. Playing the scene over in your head, seeing in in your mind's eye the the Duke's face, your your memory kind of calls back a bit to something other than his face. And you can see his hand fairly well in your vision, holding the backrest of one of these chairs as he's priding over the group in some sort of strange, um, domineering way. And you almost remember seeing his fingers seemingly to be as if they're playing a piano. The index and middle and third finger dance back and forth on the back of this rather plush seat that the Orient Express offers. And so you kind of can continue to think back. It's so vivid because of the pain in your knee that eventually comes that it must be something much akin to what you experienced in the war, which is right before a traumatic event, soldiers would remember the tiniest of details imprinted on their brain because it's their brain trying to discern where the terror is coming from. And you notice that it's not just his left hand doing this, but also at his right, his fingers were stretched and twitched into a very strange shape, as if he was almost... as if he was almost uh, stricken by some sort of muscular uh, atrophy for just a moment. And that's when the pain rushes into your memory again. That's when you feel your knee give way and the shouting starts. Most strange. Most strange. Are the two connected? Um, I don't see how they can be. I know what Lady Elizabeth would say, but uh, well, her mind does tend to see sometimes. No, I can't make head nor tail of it. Must be something I'm missing. Must be there must be something. I'm not putting the pieces together right. Ah. I've noticed that my my uh, cup of tea is uh, uh, is empty and hail a uh, um, member of staff. So I wonder could I have a um, a refill on my uh, my tea, please? Right away, sir. Right away. Uh, you do notice when ordering the tea that there is a gentleman a couple of tables beyond you. He seems to have a salt and pepper hair, somewhat thin. He's even wearing a bit of a, a thicker mustache and almost a a slight beard. But he's dressed in uh, a, a proper business attire. And uh, he's having a conversation with uh, another man across from him. And they're talking about um, something that piques your interest for a moment. They seem to be discussing... Um, the clarity and color of a stone 
that they're passing back and forth on the table. There seems to be this almost clear crystal. Now, at first, Mr. Fraser's brain says to himself, just far too big to be a diamond, but there's something about the clarity of it that's very striking. It's really the conversation and this uh, reflection of light that comes as they pass it back and forth towards your area that continues to, to kind of pass over your vision. I'll um, kind of watch as the light plays around the uh, the chair behind me and maybe the walls of the carriage and the ceiling of the carriage. Um, is it Does it um, reflect the light into kind of rainbow patterns or...? There is a bit of a rainbow pattern in it, yes. That's very pretty. Are we in the same carriage that we were in earlier on when the when the Duke... Well, I wasn't there at the time, but the, the carriage that the Duke made good his escape from. So is there a, a, a damaged seat here or was that a different carriage? Uh, so the damaged seat was <laughs> temporarily brought to Professor Courtney's quarters. Ah, right, yes. Sir. Um, and at this point, staff have taken it and placed it in the forloin to be repaired at the next stop. Right. Okay, okay. So everything everything here looks um, as it should do. Uh, it does. Um, what does the other gentleman look like, the one that, uh, that he's talking to? Uh, so the other gentleman uh, actually strikes you as someone that you... a, a type of person you have seen before. Uh, he has very uh, dark olive skin. Uh, he wears a a wide mustache as well, although he's clean cut completely the rest of it. Uh, there's a, a business suit on him here. Uh, he definitely appears either Mediterranean or, or Turkish in that regard. Um, while his facial features don't necessarily line up with anyone specific, uh, you do do half a double take. Uh, but in fairness to the gentleman, he's not wearing any sort of fez. Hmm. But he looks like he's a uh, Mediterranean, poss- possibly from that part of the world. Mm-hmm. I'll, um, you know, sit and uh, smoke my pipe and uh, and just kind of try and maybe sort of subtly listen in and eavesdrop on on the conversation, see if I can pick up any of what they're saying or if they're discussing this diamond or quartz or crystal or whatever it might be cut glass perhaps Uh, Um, so the fragment of the conversation that you pick up seems to be in regards to the stone the gentleman with the 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 first gentleman the one with the the slight beard doesn't seem to be convinced of what the the other man is telling him Uh, and he passes the stone back over and says there's there's no way it's a sapphire there's no way it cannot be that large and the other gentleman says, mm, I'm happy to continue to have you check the clarity and cut. I promise you that is what this is. Hmm. Um, and they seem to have this a bit more of a back and forth. And the first man takes out a case. Uh, it's a small case, probably no bigger than a lady's makeup box. And he opens it. And you see all manner of tools and small spy glasses and that sort of thing. Uh, very, very delicate tools. It's possibly a jeweler then, or something of that like. Yeah. It does seem to fit. Now, if I'm if if I'm right in my thinking, sapphires are usually blue. Is this blue? It is not blue. It is white. Hmm. And, and approximately, um, how how big is it? Uh, 
James would suggest it's probably as big as the tip of his thumb. All right. Okay, so not not huge, not uh, inches across or anything like that, but uh, mm, no. So a, 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 when you say white, do you mean you mean clear? Yeah, yeah, Trans- clear, transparent. Clear. Yeah, transparent. Yeah. So that's I mean that strikes me as uh, a little strange that they're discussing whether or not this is a sapphire. And, mm, he doesn't know enough about jewelry to know whether or not there is such a thing as a as a clear sapphire. Perhaps it's that's a something that exists but is very rare. Um, if if um, their glance ever strays over his way, he will uh, raise his pipe in a little little salute of greeting. The gentleman attempting to um, say uh, sell the case, as it were, acknowledges you with a a wide smile and says, "It's a beautiful, isn't it?" He holds it up, mm. and when he holds it up flat, you see the refractions from the the day sun that is beaming its way through the windows of the Orient Express. And it creates this almost kaleidoscopic effect just momentarily in the room. Yes, yes. I, I couldn't help uh, noticing the uh, the light refracting through it earlier on, playing across the across the ceiling and across the the, uh, the compartment. Uh, yes, it's very, very beautiful indeed. Uh, does it look like it's multifaceted? Is it being, has it been cut with uh, an, uh, several, several faces, or is it smooth? Uh, it has... It seems like, uh, strangely, a bit of both. It looks like it's been cut out of things, but it has not been finished. Right, okay. And so it has been cut into almost a um, trapezoidal shape. There's one one side of it that is edged a little longer than the other, um, but it's not completely finished. Hmm. You wouldn't say it's a completely cut stone yet. It looks like someone's done some work on it to maybe cut away the uh, additional rock or detritus or whatever's around it, but um, it has not been finished. Sure. Um, may I? And kind of uh, reach my hand out to see if I can have a look at it. Yeah, the uh, gentleman uh, comes over and uh, deposits it very carefully in your hand. I'll, I'll hold it up and uh, look look through it, look out of the window through it as well. You know, just look to see if you know if if it is as clear and pure as it appears to be. If there's any imperfections in it, it's definitely fairly clear. I'm trying to think of how much Mr. Fraser's probably seen jewelry. I would imagine you've seen a fair amount of jewelry given the person you work for and given their family. Maybe mm. not in the uncut form, probably more mm. in the oh, finished no, form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that said, um, he would probably it's probably a fair jump of logic to say he would know, well, they're not done finished cutting it, so obviously there's some things that could be shaped away. So yeah, but yeah. It, it's a very pretty stone, if nothing else. What 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 uh, what what kind of crystal is this? I tell you, it it is a it is a white sapphire, oh, and you can see that the the man beyond him seems to kind of shake his head. But he's not sure of that. You hear a more um, pronounced English accent. Oh, a, a white sapphire, you say? I've never heard tell of such a thing. Of course, because everything thinks sapphire, and they think it's blue. It has to be blue. I am telling you, there are stones like sapphire made of the same stone that have all their color washed away. Oh, washed away? How, how, how does that occur? I, I must admit, I, I know nothing about the trade. I, I, I assume from uh, from your uh, little box of tools there that uh, you're a, a jeweler yourself, yes? Oh, uh, but of course. Where did it come from? From my home country. Oh, and uh, if if you don't mind me asking, uh, where, where is it you're from? <laughs> well, pauses a bit, and you see him get a little um, 
I would I'd say morose is not the right word. He gets a little dim. Well, uh, originally I'm I am a Serb. Ah, ah, yes, yes. You've had quite a lot of trouble around your part of the world, I do believe, Harris. Yes. Yes, Indeed, well, you um, have my sympathy for that. Thank you. Um, so, Martin, you've just woken from this nap. You're not really sure how long it's been. Time is a little strange to you at the moment. But you've gotten an awful thirst. You feel just dry. Almost like a piece of scratchy bread. Um, well, perhaps it's time for me to uh, visit the bar again. Let's see if I can grab a tea. Uh, uh, Richard will, um, will hunt around and just make sure that his uh, his room is sensible. Nothing's turned up there that he didn't expect. Hmm. I think the only thing he would probably notice off the bat is the device, which is, of course, still uh, somewhat close, is a little warm. As if he may have been using it recently. As if... He'll, he'll put that away, and uh, I think to himself, oh, that explains that dream, then. Yeah, it must have been a dream. Clearly. Couldn't, couldn't have been real. So, he will uh, he will exit the carriage after mm. packing everything away, and uh, probably just check in on, uh, on Maggie on the, in, on the way, just to see how his uh, piece of jewellery suggestion was doing. <laughs> okay, fair enough, so... She, uh, when last we left uh, Miss Bellinger, she was relaxing, maybe sketching or reading a book. She was just trying to calm down from having uh, encountered the Duke and then the associated ruffians. So yes, um, you come to her compartment. Richard will not. Um, twice. Oh, hello, Richard. Um, what, uh, what can I do for you? I've just finished a short rest and I'm feeling a little better than I was and uh, I was wondering if perhaps you would like to take tea in the bar. Yes, I, I I was planning on resting a little bit longer but I suppose that would be okay. Don't want to sleep too long and all. Throw throw everything off. As Maggie looks, I, still looks I pretty groggy. Mean to, uh, <laughs> didn't mean to... Um, uh, uh, ruin your rest. I'm I'm sorry. Um, I, I do believe there's a, a large tunnel we'll be going through um, soon, and uh, yes, it'd be interesting to watch it. Well, I'm not sure how much there'll be to see, but I would be happy to accompany you. How's the uh, any uh, gestures towards your arm? How's the bracelet? Oh, um, I I think it's doing the job just fine. Marvelous. Just one moment, and um, I'll I'll join you momentarily. Yes, of course. Um, I'll um, I'll see you there then. Okay. And Maggie, I'll will take a minute to straighten herself up a little bit before she goes to join Richard. Sure. When she was napping. Maggie, when you're straightening yourself up, you um, mm-hmm. slightly lurch a bit, um, and it's not because of some strange pain in your arm or because something. Um, Miss bewitching you. It's the train. Yeah. Uh, the train lurches a bit to the left, mm-hmm. uh, just for a moment, and you see that it's turning, mm-hmm. like around a, a fairly steep grade, 
And out your window, you see uh, a several hundred feet drop. Oh, dear. You also see out that same window some very beautiful, very beautiful countryside. And maybe a small town nearby. Still, it's quite scary being this high up. She might um, hurry a bit um, just to get get kind of away from the window. Um, I imagine uh, coming where, where Maggie's from, kind of on the coast. She probably isn't used to being up in the mountains so much and traveling at these high heights. No, likely not. And the dip here is fairly considerable especially as you approach the tunnel yeah, before it levels off. And uh, it is definitely something. Yes. Um, and regardless of how much Richard could save me from falling to my death, uh, there is safety in numbers and it might make her feel a little bit better to head mm. to tea with, with Richard. Okay. You get collected, you know, prepared enough to feel as if you can exit without looking too much disheveled. <laughs> yeah. And then he's standing there in the hallway. Oh, oh, um, sorry. It took me a minute. Oh, boy, have you looked outside? We certainly are high up. Oh, um, yes, I have to say height's not quite my thing. I'm looking forward to the reassuring embrace of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does explain why you seemed so excited about it. Yes, I, um, I'm not one for heights. Perhaps we should go um, have that drink and maybe with the curtains closed by our table. <laughs> yes, and maybe we can find something to put in the tea as well. <laughs> so much like your fellow travelers, uh, Simon, you are finding the differences in grade height and height uh, as far as the descent um, you're finding it a change, but yours is a little different because given Appalachia, you're fairly used to uh, the changes in, in ascent and descent. It happens all the time. Yep. I mean, the Alps are much bigger than the Appalachians, but... That's very true. That's very true. Um, yeah, coming off of them and into Italy, you were fairly prepared for the eventual need to go to a, uh, a lower elevation but this is definitely something that as you're either in your compartment or traveling through a different portion of the train this is definitely eye-catching it's, it's something that you can tell separates the travelers who have been on the orient express from those who have not so for those who have been maybe several times they look out the window for a moment recognize where they are and they seem to go back to doing what they were doing for the people who have not, they are completely transfixed by the oncoming tunnel. I'm definitely interested in, in watching it because I haven't been here before, but uh, while it's it's very pretty and it is exciting, I'm, I'm not surprised. But I, I really am enjoying this. I think I'd like to go to the salon car or Simon will go there with his uh, book on Greek. Okay. Yeah, easy enough. Uh, the salon car is beginning to fill with people who want to have the experience of up opportunities to look out windows as it passes through this legendary at this point tunnel. I mean, if there's windows uh, near the bar there, so I don't stop a family, mm -hmm. 
I'll just sit on one of the stools by the window and uh, have a seltzer water. I'm sure they probably don't have as much milk on the train. Um, there are methods of refrigerant available to the Orient Express. Um, you would know that the train does keep uh, the facilities necessary to keep a small number of things uh, refrigerate cool, like like uh, something like milk or cream, that sort of thing, uh, especially because of the demanding needs of their guests. Uh, it essentially has to be a top-notch first-class hotel on rails. And so telling the um, local dignitaries or a member of the royal family when it comes to uh, to the British system uh, that you simply don't have something is unacceptable. Um, so while they might not have as much, they do get deliveries along the way, and that's kind of what helps churn through uh, their grocery items. So it's likely anyway that they would have the ability to um, accommodate those guests. Okay, well then I'll have a glass of milk and some toast and work on my book uh, with my... Uh, have my book over on the left and I'll have my little notebook um, on the right that I'm making notes in as I study Greek. Okay. So since you're all in that uh, area specifically, I'd like you all to make spot hidden rolls. Um, myself included or just the other three? Oh, absolutely. All of you. Because you all have, will have the... Uh, Mr. Fraser will be, will be looking at the, the stone and kind of passing it back and forth a bit, but you'll still be there. There was actually something that I wanted to ask the... Uh, um, ask the chap. Um, yep, no problem. You'll get your chance before we we complete this. Spot hidden. That was a 38 under 60. Okay. And that is a 31 under... It's a hard success. Yeah, it's a hard success anyway for me. And I had a 25 under 45. Maggie still has some sleep in her eyes, so <laughs> she uh, rolled a 45 over 31. Mm, okay. Yeah, I mean, you're welcome to spend luck or push. Totally up to you. This is a 31 under 78 for me. Sometimes it's better to not see the unseen. Yes, yes. You're not uh, You're not wrong in that regard. Um, although maybe not this specific time. So, Mr. Frazier, if you'd like to ask your question, we'll wait until we'll go ahead and sure. uh, give it to me and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so uh, as I'm looking at the... Uh, uh, the, the sapphire and admiring its beauty and its quality. Um, uh, Mr. Fraser's uh, re recalls the the fact that uh, one of their stopping off points is in Belgrade, in Serbia, um, and uh, so as, as the jeweler has mentioned that he himself is from Serbia. So, so this is very fine, very very beautiful. I take it it's not uh, not you've not finished cutting it yet. Uh, no, 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 no. I... Yeah, simply uh, cleared away what uh, what I could uh, with the time that I had. Right. Um, I was on a, a, under a bit of distress uh, leaving, you understand. Oh, I see. Uh, but you're heading back now, yes? Mm. Mm. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, things have uh, changed a bit there, and uh, mm. I'm hoping to um, <laughs> cut it into a, a, a precious piece for uh, perhaps someone here oh. and uh, use the funds to uh, continue the journey and to uh, to help my family uh, there, right. and well, very good. I'm sure. I'm very sure that somebody will be be interested. You, you have a a captive market here, as they say. Uh, <laughs> in fact, we are ourselves uh, are considering stopping off in uh, in your home country in in uh, in Belgrade. I hear they have a, a very oh. fine national museum there. 
What's mm. the name of the chap there? The, uh, the, there's a curator there. Uh, Win- Winkleman, I believe his name is. Yes, I understand. He's a, huh. a very, very learned gentleman there. Do you know the museum yourself? I have been uh, several times. It's it's beautiful. Ah, so I hear, so I hear, yes. Oh, um, if uh, by any chance uh, we happen uh, upon each other whilst, uh, whilst in Be- Belgrade, perhaps you can uh, give us a wee tour of the city. Um, oh, of course, I would, I would be happy to. Uh, my employer, uh, Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, is, is on the train, in fact, and uh, she may very well be interested in some of your wares. Hmm. Wonderful. Uh, perhaps I will. Uh, perhaps I will have an opportunity to uh, to speak with her when Absolutely. she's uh, when she's ready. Yes, indeed, she's resting just now, but perhaps a little later. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, he takes the stone back from you just ever so gently, mm-hmm. and as he does, there is a very hard shudder from the train and a very long pull from the steam engine. You hear just this roar of a whistle come out. And the train begins to shudder and slow very rapidly on the tracks. My, is is that supposed to happen? Is is this usual behavior? He looks around and and begins looking for staff, much like many of the other uh, people. About two to three heartbeats after that, a member of staff in a nice uh, deep blue jacket comes through from one end of the saloon headed towards the locomotive, the engine. And he does so what can only be described as at speed. Yeah, I'm going to try and, and, and hail him uh, uh, as he uh, as he passes by. Uh, excuse me, excuse me, just a moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Is, uh, is there a problem? Uh, it, it does seem so, yes. I'm. Uh, we have something on the track. Oh, it's, it's nothing serious, I hope. Uh, I shall find out. He continues on. Uh, Mr. Frazier, you would pick out there at the back end of the saloon car the um, quiet and um, careful gaze of one of the Express's security officers, just keeping an eye on passengers. It's not looming by any means, but just visibly available. Did did this um, uh, chap that went past me, did he speak to him at all when he came into the, this carriage? He did not. All right, I'm going to look out the window and see if I can see what's going on. I, I imagine there's plenty of other people doing the same thing. Oh, yes. So looking out the window, you get your first kind of, um, <laughs> your first breath, at least uh, at this point of uh, the air here as you're pre-tunnel. Uh, so it's a bit lighter. It's um, it's rather refreshing. Not that the Ori Express smells foul by any means, but it's fresh air. Um, and you see the long plume of steam that's rising out of the express and uh, just up ahead there several cars and then of course the engine uh, it seems that there are a couple of uh, members of staff that are on one side of the track and they seem to be gesticulating at something you can't see something either in front of the train blocking blocking the track or there's something's happened to the track is what I'm thinking Um, can I see the others uh, in in this um in this carriage, are they are they nearby or are they in different? Oh uh, yeah, near near enough. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I, I'll slowly and rather painfully shift myself out, out of my seat and uh, head up the the carriage towards them. Wonderful. Um, you you arrive. Uh, hello, hello. Uh, did do any of you know uh, what it is that's on the track in front of the train? No. I wonder. Um, 
I wonder if there's been a rock fall or something. Oh, I should hope not. You see a member of staff enter the far end. Same gentleman that had left a, a few moments ago. And he says, um, excuse me, is there, um, are there perhaps some gentlemen here who'd be willing to uh, lend their backs to uh, move something? I hate to ask, of course, but uh, the conductor has asked us to uh, query the uh, the members of the uh, passengers here. Is there something fallen onto the tracks? It seems so, yes. Um, we're just trying to get it uh, out of the way so we can be uh, continue on our way to Milan, of course. Oh, yes, 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 of course. What, what is it? Is it uh, a rockfall or something? It's probably best you see it yourself. He uh, turns around. Can I look at Simon? Richard? I fold up my book and my uh, little notebook and I tuck them into my jacket and I get up. Maggie, I, I, do, you, do you still have your camera on you? This um, sounds quite exciting. Oh, yeah, yes, of course. I was planning on following you. Yeah, that would certainly be one to send home to Aunt Edith. <laughs> certainly. Well, come along then, gentlemen. Let's lend a hand and see if we can get this train moving again. We all pile out of uh, the... Uh exit doors you kind of get onto the tracks or the area associated near the tracks by trying to begin moving your way up um it's rather irregular there's three or four members of staff here that are trying to it looks like get to one side of a a rather large object that's been placed in the way of the tracks so you see a couple of things right off the way here um, simon that that are fairly obvious as to why the train stopped one is uh several large boulders have fallen from a height um, up the side of the this uh, pass here and they've interdicted themselves onto the track and they are well they're probably in the four to five hundred pound range massive pieces right there's two of them but that's really not the biggest concern as you see it and the rest of you begin kind of piecing this together as you're walking up several of these staff members are um some of them are looking at the scene. Some of them are looking away. They probably, when they see you, Maggie, get out of the train and walk up closer with, like, you know, said camera, they're probably already kind of beginning to turn and, like, walk towards you mm-hmm. to say, to potentially interdict you from, from getting there. Um, Mr. Fraser, with your vantage point and also Simon, too, likely the two of you probably are leading a bit of the way. You can see that the interior portion of these rocks, so there's a couple of big rocks, and in between them there's something. There seems to be a, a body. Good Lord, Simon, do you see that? Apparently some unfortunate soul has either fallen from above or was hit by these rocks. I, I think we should investigate. Or has thrown themselves onto the tracks. I, I have heard of it, heard tell of it. I, I'm very surprised that they are bringing passengers out to see this, though, I have to say. You see a... Um, a staff member arrive with a, a sheet. I'll just turn back to, to Maggie, sorry, to say, uh, Miss Bellinger, it, it perhaps might be prudent not to be taking too many uh, photographs of what's on the tracks up ahead of us. Yes, um, though I, I will snap a few. It might be pertinent to our investigation. And besides, this isn't the first dead body I've seen, and I doubt it'll be the last. That that uh, may well be the case, and I suppose it may, if there is any kind of a police investigation as to uh, how this uh, this personage came to be on the tracks, then uh, some photographic evidence of them uh, may come in 
very uh, very useful. But um, well, it might it might be wise perhaps to uh, to, to speak to uh, one of the train guards and just uh, ensure that there uh, there is no issue with the permission to photograph this. We don't want to cause uh, any trouble. Well, that is the difference about permission and forgiveness, Mister Fraser. You're either asking for one or the other. I, well, it's sometimes it's easier to ask for permission than it is to ask for forgiveness from behind the uh, bars of a cell, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, so they cover the body with a sheet uh, shortly thereafter. Um, and you see a couple of the uh, staff members here have uh, collected shovels and a couple of men have pickaxes. Can we tell if it was a male or a female body? Um, you can absolutely tell that it is a male body. And the reason you can tell, and I'll give you a reason you can tell, obviously, is by the face, which is somewhat still intact. But if everyone there wants to give me a, a, an additional spot hidden roll before they throw the sheet over, go ahead and do that. Hard success, 27 under 60. Uh, hard success for me as well, 37 under 78. Okay. Fail, 62 over 45. Okay. I know Maggie has seen a dead body. I know Richard has. I know for certainly that, that uh, Mr. Fraser has given his war experience. Um, so we don't have to make any sort of sanity rolls there. It's, it's a body. We know that. But you see a almost a piece of... Um, it's either a, a, a piece of paper or a piece of... Some sort of a signage has been placed over the top of this body. Like it's been hooked around their neck. Can we see what it says? You can. Can any of you read Italian? Of course not. <laughs> Would anyone like to take a stab at reading Italian? I can take a picture of Italian and then <laughs> hope that Lady Elizabeth <laughs> reads Get somebody Italian. to translate it. I, what, what is um, what is a base skill for Italian? Is it 1%? Or? Yeah. Um, I'll give you the first word um, because the first word is fairly simple. Uh, the first word is most definitely the name Mussolini. Well, what do you think then, uh, Simon? Do you think this is an, uh, an anti-fascist uh, making a point or a fascist making a point? I don't see anything. <laughs> uh, it's a guy, right? Aye, aye, it is, yes. Well, yes. So what are you saying, Mussolini? He's got something. He's got a. He's got something written on something that's uh, fixed to his uh, chest. Uh, is it paper or can we tell is it a card or paper or something like that? Uh, you think it actually might be, uh, you think it might be paper, yeah. I'm going to walk up to the body and lift the uh, sheet and just whip the paper off and look at it. <laughs> okay. Um, several staff members are a bit stunned at your directness. Oh, uh, sir, sir, please, uh, for retain his, some, some decency. I, I am retaining decency. I'm not touching the body. I'm just looking at the paper. So it says uh, Mussolini ha sempre rigone. I'm going to look around and see if there's anyone in the vicinity who looks like they might speak Italian. Oh, or perhaps ask, yes. uh, ask one of the train guards or something yes. like that. One of the train guards that has joined you up near the front to kind of oversee what's going on. He looks at the sheet and then just grimly nods and turns back and kind of looks at the countryside there and looks off into the tunnels a bit. It's not surprising. What does it say? Oh, the I body. Can, I can understand the first word, but not the rest of it. It says, Mussolini is always right. 
the fascists then, eh? Aye. They've taken over the entire country. I've come across this sort before. Not a pleasant bunch. Mm. Now, eh, the guard says, if you're able, we have a few pickaxes, we'll break up the rocks, and then uh, some of us will see to getting the body off the track. Uh, sir, do you have any posts? Mm. We may have some in the forlorn for... I was just going to say, if you're going to be looking at these 500, you know, these are quarter ton rocks here. Um, you you might as well use our posts as a fulcrum and just flip them off the rails. Mm. Our colleague knows exactly what he's talking about. He, this, is, uh, this is very much his field of expertise. Ah, wonderful. Well, good to have you here. Um, yes. Well, let me see what I can do about collecting them. Uh, but for now, um, perhaps um, we could get this gentleman to somewhere safe. Fair enough. Um, as this is going on, Richard is going to try and work out where these boulders have come from because they seem pretty big and not the sort of thing that someone's just, you know, thrown onto the track. Um, so he's going to try and work out where they came from if he can. Hmm. I tell you what, Richard, why don't you make me a mathematics roll? Ooh. <laughs> to see how possible, how 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 it would be possible to get rocks, such rocks here. Well, that's 68, which is a dire roll, but he does have mathematics of 75, so that's a pass. Very well. So two things are likely true. One, these boulders were likely moved by some sort of truck or flatbed. Uh, some type of lorry drove them here. Uh, it's just, there's far too much weight for someone to pop up with a wheelbarrow and dump them onto a dead body. Um, and they're frankly not close enough to... Um, where the hill and, and tunnel start to really have fallen and rolled this far. Um, just the, the sheer force and the gravity that such a stone would create when falling, it would likely just fall dead and in place. If it was going to be blocking the tunnel, it would have blocked it at the tunnel. It wouldn't have rolled 10, 15 meters down the way. Ah, curious. Somebody seems to have Put these things here. For what purpose? I've, I have no idea. Come along, Mr. Courtney. Lend a hand, will you? Yes, absolutely. So he rolls up his sleeves and you see some matchsticks. <laughs> You're all wonderful. Um, uh, Mr. Fraser will, ho will hobble over and uh, probably be um, able to lend a hand carrying the body off the, off the tracks if they've got some sort of stretch or something to put it onto. Um, he's not really up to levering large boulders at the minute. You guys move in that direction. A minute or so later, uh, they begin bringing up a couple of posts that they, they seem to have pulled from the foreland. It looks like they're more for, they might not be obviously for this specifically, Simon, but you can probably put them to use after testing how sturdy they are. My question is for Maggie, and that is, Maggie, are you taking a picture of this? Oh, yeah. Okay. All of it. I'm taking pictures of... Uh, the dead body, Richard trying to lift heavy things, anything that might be good. Um, some real candid photos. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, you get your compatriots and this um, poor gentleman who's had just a rather terrible day. And, uh, and yeah, you make some photos. So, Simon, I suppose it's a profession role. I don't think there was one offered. That's why I went with the uh, science geology. That will work. To cover it. Um, 
the one thing that I do want to make sure, or Simon wants to make sure, is that uh, Miss Maggie got a photo of the gentleman's face. So when we arrive, we may be able to get this identified. Yeah, you're, you're fairly certain, even just from the um, offhand glances that you've given uh, Miss Bellinger, that she has likely taken several photos of um, the gentleman in various states. Her glances back say, I know, I know. <laughs> I got it. Don't worry. All right. I will I will spin for my geology. And that's a hard success 18 under 40. Okay. Yeah. So you uh along with some staff and your fellow compatriots who are willing begin moving these boulders uh off. Um so you set the table for them. You're going to give them advantage on these strength rolls that they're going to make. Uh, by telling them, listen, you need to put it here. And the nice part about it is for you, Richard, is that everything that you're seeing Simon point out is backed up by clear and sound mathematical leverage points. You're like, oh, yep, that makes sense. This is where we'd want it. Um, and so I would like you two gentlemen, along with one staff member, which I will make a roll for, are going to lift these boulders off the track. It's a hard difficulty, but you're at advantage for the roll. So that's a strength throw. It is, sir. Dear. 39 under 40. <laughs> uh, I rolled a 3 under 80. Okay. Now, Richard, you are at advantage for that roll. So feel free to, to re-roll that given given Simon's good direction if it if it goes lower. Another 30, so no, it's still 30, 39. And then uh, Mr. Fraser, if you're assisting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um so am I, is my strength in any way diminished because of my injury to my knee, or do you want me to roll a penalty die or anything like that with it? Um, I'll tell you what. I'll have you make a flat roll. You have advantage from Simon's skill, but you're at a bit of a disadvantage given the, the damage that's been done to your knee. You're doing the absolutely. thing that Paul had asked you not to do. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm very surprised nobody's told me just to go and sit down. <laughs> but uh, Mr. Fraser is always there to lend a hand. And he rose a zero seven. Wow. Okay, so Richard, at the end of this, maybe somewhat unshockingly, you feel a little useless physically. As Mr. Fraser and Simon really do uh, the 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 yeoman's work of this act, and even some of the train staff are quite frankly taken aback at just how easy, with a bit of direction and the right leverage points, the two of them begin working and heaving this boulder off the track. To you, to me, mind my fingers, Mr. Griffith. There's no retelling of the painful story of Poissy here. Uh, the two gentlemen work the first one off and then work the second boulder off in the opposite direction. And the staff seem relieved. Uh, but before we dial too much back, we want to make sure that we get my, Maggie's photography roll, as that is critical to see uh, how much pain she could potentially inflict when someone views her pictures. Yes. <laughs> and what were we using for? I think we were using it. Yeah, we were. We? Okay. I'm going to roll real dice and not digital dice. because. Yeah, go for it. Roll 20 is not favoring me today. But real dice are because I rolled a two under <laughs> 70. Okay, so here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to make me a power. I'd like you to make me a power roll. Okay. That's not so good. 97. Okay. Mm, 
Interesting. So I will offer you the opportunity to push that roll or mm-hmm. to spend enough luck to make it a success. Oh, I'll push it. I thought you might. Because my pal is 75, so Very nice. come on. And I rolled a 73. So. <laughs> you take a few amazing photographs, although they are quite grisly, you know. Um, you get a very, what you think is newspaper, front page worthy picture of this poor fellow who clearly just did not listen and did not follow Mussolini's instructions. Now, beyond that, the scene does die down after a while. The staff tell you after the bowl is removed that the train is going to want to get back underway as soon as possible. They will likely be a nearly unacceptable 20 minutes late, 30 minutes late for the stop in Milan. And so the conductor may have to make up time. As we head back to the train, all you can hear is Richard muttering to himself under his breath. I, I couldn't really risk another pair of trousers with all this lifting and moving. That's. <laughs> Mr. Fraser limps back to his uh, his seat in the. <laughs> so when you get back into the car, the the car you come out of the saloon car, uh, you can begin to hear people getting ready for uh, another departure. But you also see the gentleman with the that you were talking to Mr. Fraser with the stone and the other gentleman he was talking to, they seem to be uh, looking for something like hand and feet on the floor, looking for something. Excuse me, gentlemen, uh, have you uh, mislaid something? Please don't tell me it's the sapphire. (laughs) He looks up incredulously. Of course, um, this jostling with the train and, and people moving back and forth, it slipped out of my hands. Oh, well, uh, uh, allow me to assist. And he'll kind of struggle down on his hands and knees and help them look. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take really much more than, say, two or three minutes to locate the stone. It's under a leg of a chair uh, that someone had moved at some portion. Um, and you pick it up. And uh, as you do, Richard, you see Mr. Fraser with this rather strange stone. And for whatever reason, you feel just that your eyes follow it from his hand to this other gentleman's hand. The uh, gentleman thanks you, Mr. Fraser, and he puts it in his case. You see a, you see a marvelous jeweler's case there that is uh, opened just for a moment to see tools and picks and tiny little brushes and small jeweler's spyglasses as it shuts and conceals the stone again. Does Simon see all this? Oh, yeah. Uh, sir, do you mind if I have a look? I have uh, some knowledge of uh, stones. Oh, certainly. He uh, gestures to a seat across from him at the table. Please. Uh, is it obviously corundum? Uh, it is not, actually. Well, what does it appear to be? What Could I analyze it? You could. Would you like to ana- analyze it with a geology, perhaps? I would. 30 under 40. So you're not certain with the proper pieces here with his his more advanced jeweler's kit as you kind of get into the facets of this. It has a lot of the properties of a sapphire, although it might be more of a cashmere sapphire than, say, a standard one. You've heard about them. They're very rare. You've also heard that occasionally they will come out from a larger piece, but they come out, some portion of them come out, comes out as bleached or this, this specific color. Although you've only read about them rather than seen them. Um, 
You do so by trying to prove that it's something else, that the elements inside the the what from what you can see are more present in in say a different type of stone, but you can't find any of those specific uh, attributes. When you say cashmere sapphire, uh, are you referring to the region of cashmere? And I am specifically one's mined from Himalayan mines. So this this is not standard corundum. That is obvious, but that is corundum from the uh, Europe and Africa. Mm. This does appear to be... Well, I've heard of cashmere sapphires, but I am not familiar with them. Would, the, would you know which region this may have come from? It came from where my... near where my home country was, uh, near, uh, near Serbia. It's uh, rather a special stone. Um, I, um, I have uh, need of uh, some jewellery at some point. Um, I, uh, there's a um, an occasion, uh, somebody uh, special. I, I need a ring commissioned for. Understand? Uh, do, do you have a card at all? I'm just wondering, just absentmindedly, if, if Maggie's character is somewhere near this when this conversation is happening. If so, she's making the same faces we're in. It's right now. <laughs> like, what? But yes, the uh, the gentleman turns to you, uh, Professor, and he extends a card. Uh, y- yes, please uh, come and see me. Uh, I'm certain um, if you have the opportunity to, uh, you will not be disappointed. And um, how much may I ask would something of this um, uh, size and nature um, cost? Oh, well, uh, I'm certain you and I can can work on a a, a price for it. It's uh, it's very rare, as uh, as uh, this gentleman, he points to, to Simon. So if it's very rare, of course, uh, as he's pointed out, I would probably be willing to part with it for say, a, a few hundred sterling. Ah, oh, my word. Um, yes, and Richard casts Simon a bit of a dirty look. <laughs> <laughs> ten, ten, ten of those, um, yeah, Benny. <laughs> no, um, what sort of size and shape is this thing? Is Does this sort of resemble the size and shape of a, a lens? So th- this is the most interesting part about it. it. It actually doesn't conform to the normal lens shape. But what is intriguing for the professor about it is that the stone is yet uncut completely, which means it could be shaped into something that would fit an empty lens holder. It's big enough. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, would you permit me to um, examine this further? Um, and he gestures to the table and the jeweler's kit. Please, uh, provided the stone stays here, you may examine it for, uh, well, until we get to Milan. Thank you, yes. And um, uh, Richard will have a look at it and um, he'll see if he can sort of... He'll, he'll hold it to the lights if there are any sort of particularly funny or unusual patterns for something of this nature. Yeah, um, so as the train continues to move, for as long as you have light, when you hold it up while these these windows are available to you, while the curtains are open, you would see much the same display as Mr. Fraser saw earlier, which is when the light hits this properly, there is this kaleidoscopic effect in the room. So Richard is quite good with physics and science and that sort of stuff. Would he mm-hmm. know whether this is sort of a normal prism type effect or is this particularly weird? It's a little weird only because the stone is not properly cut yet. It should not. It's displaying facets of color on the walls here that betray its actual cut. That's the confusing thing about it, right? Um, you would expect from a cut crystal that is shaped to do such a thing. Of course, it would 
create this sort of display. Um, although this is doing that without it being completely cut. Would I know whether this is something that's very unnatural for this, or could this just be a freak thing? I think that you'd probably have to turn to somebody who knew a little bit more about jewelry or stones or geological matters than you would. You'd need a man of science. Appalachian science. This is very odd. It's um, it's a very, very strange trick of the light here. Simon, is this something that... Uh... He just hands it over. Well, you see the prism this is forming? Typically, when you get prisms on walls and stuff, it is from cut crystal, cut glass, or, or very well cut gems. But either way, you're looking at a very high clarity for it to be able to reflect. Understood? Uh, yes, yes, it makes sense. I mean, if it's milky or something else, if it's... If it's, another, uh, it's got some impurities in it, it's not going to have this. What you have here is an uncut stone of an extremely high clarity. So this could be shaped into almost anything as long as a professional jeweler did it without botching his job. I see. Um, and what would the risks of breaking this sort of thing be? Um, I mean, I would assume that if it's uncut, um, the risks of breaking it would mean that the value of an uncut stone is less than one that's finished. That is correct. Um, my only concern is, is there enough material? Um, Mike, is there enough material here that if one is botched, we could knock out a second lens? Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, the, the key thing is we would only have one shot at this. Yes. Um... You need a professional. And I don't know where the best jewelers are. That's... Maybe Amsterdam. This man has said he'd like to sell it. And do you want to buy it? Well, possibly. I mean, this trip has cost a little bit more than I'd expected. And um, Richard will look at the card and uh, uh, clock what the guy's name is. Um, this is for a, a very special friend. Um, hmm. Could I possibly... Um, I mean, it, it's sort of a little bit beyond my means and Richard sort of glances down at these slightly threadbare elbows on his um, lovely brown suit it's which is quite clearly not some sort of um, you know fashionable item or expensive suit I I would be very grateful if you could let it go for I don't know perhaps uh, something less than you'd normally take hmm he seems to take a, a judge of you a bit just up and down and says um the uh, the tickets, uh, of course, aboard such a train are not for the uh, the meek financially. Yes. Oh, quite. You do understand that um, this isn't something that I was able to afford. Um, a bit of a, a legacy left by a friend of a friend. Mm. I, that I do understand. You see, that the stone came to me through a friend as well. It's very important to me that the legacy they left me does what it can to sustain my family. You must understand, my country has had some very terrible things happen to it for a very long time. I I quite understand, and um, it would be absolutely marvellous if um, maybe this this um, gift that was... Um, this uh, Was this bequeathed to you? 
would would do so many people so much good and bring so much joy. Well, I might consider it, but I would need to know the story behind it. I would need to know the reason Ah, for such a price change. Or perhaps who you're you're going to get, what lucky girl you're going to give it to. Hmm? Well, I'm... I'm as yet unattached. Um, however, um, the the person that, that would be interested in this is, is a dear family friend. And um, he was burned and scarred in a most horrible accident. Um, a fire which took his house and most of his possessions. And uh, he has a, um, a strange ornamental um, mask which is, is missing a gem of this sort of size and something clear would would be absolutely fantastic it would um i don't know how long he has left to live but i i believe i mean and, and he just witters on endlessly <laughs> he seems to be very interested in your mentioning of the mask like it seems to pique his interest like oh that's different it's an ornamental mask that is missing a stone he says um I tell you what, um, I might be willing to give you a slight uh, agreed-upon change in the price. Um, but if I'm going to cut it to size, I'll need to see what I'm cutting it to, yes? Just like any other uh, uh, ring uh, holder or uh, piece, I, w- I would need to know what shape to work it into. Absolutely. Um, I'm not quite sure how I can get that to you, but... Um... Yes, if you'd be willing to sell it for a reasonable price, I'm maybe I could have it sent here. Well, uh, per- perhaps you could cable your other friend when we reach Milan, and you could uh, ask for uh, specifics of how how big the holder is. So, would Richard be aware of any kind of change in this guy's, let's say, level of interest or his enthusiasm for for this when he mentioned the mask? That was an unexpected response. So, Richard sort of. Trying to feel him out, so to speak. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd have to take it for what it is. It does seem genuine, like he's genuinely interested in seeing it because yeah. it sounds like something different. So what's going through Richard's mind at the minute is, is this the chap that Professor Smith met? He doesn't know, and he's not going to ask him, but that's what's going through his mind. So the rest of you, while you're you're seeing this back and forth, I think it's important to point out that your associate, Professor Courtney, is far more alive in this moment than you probably have seen him in some time. You may also notice that he may be bending the truth a little bit. Oh, well, Maggie's used to that. Yeah. Right, she knows. She, I know, because I've, <laughs> I've been with Richard privately when he lies. It doesn't surprise Mr. <laughs> Fraser in the slightest. <laughs> he knows that. He's a rum cove, that fella. <laughs> <laughs> so will you... um? Would you part with it um, for a reasonable price? And then um, if I can arrange to have this bought up, we can maybe reconvene it. Mm. It will take me some time to cut it, yes. All right, Professor, give me your persuade roll. We'll see how well you do as the uh, <laughs> two men lock ver- veritable social horns. Oh, it's a... So we've got a wonderful 16, that is. Oh. Under 50, which is a hard success. He takes the measure of you for a moment and says, um, Sir, I uh, I take you at your word that this story is true, and um, I would be happy to craft this for your um, 
a completion for your uh, mask. I'm willing to do so for 75 pounds sterling. You must understand from my perspective, this is a one in a lifetime opportunity for me. But I understand what it means to want to complete someone's dream. I can assure you it would make an old man, an old injured man, very happy. Very kind of you. Do you have a, a business card, perhaps? Indeed, I do. And he pulls out something with the uh, uh, the office address on in the uh, in the university. Sure. And he says very well. Ah, thank you. And uh, if I can get this device to you um, beforehand, I um, I will. Hmm, wonderful. He uh, kind of scoops the stone up and places it back in his box. Those of you who are watching this uh, entire piece, even if if those of you have, if, if any of the party has detached itself from a rather um, <laughs> wheeling and dealing Professor Courtney, if you'd like to make me a, a spot hidden roll, uh, every, everybody basically accept the professor because he's a little busy at the moment. I just cannot spot anything to save my life that today. That is 15, which I think might be an extreme success. All right. I have a 12 under 45, which is a hard. It is. So I'll point this out specifically to Mr. Fraser first, but the rest of you will be able to see the same thing. And it's poignant for him because he's had a conversation with them. The gentleman who is sitting across from this um, jeweler, um, taking a particular interest at the negotiation portion of what's gone on, especially when the, the man first said it would probably be, you know, a, a hundred or perhaps more pounds sterling um is this the gentleman he, with the um kind of graying hair and the yes thinning graying hair gray and slight beard yeah okay uh, he takes particular interest at the uh, how much the stone might be worth and you he had tell an, that he had an english accent didn't he he did okay i'll i'll, I'll note that internally um, yes i'd like to make a psychology roll to see uh, if i can figure out exactly what's going through his head Wonderful. That is a failure. That is uh, 84 uh, over my psychology of 40. So it is likely, just from your vantage point, that uh, he's probably just intrigued by the, the what, what the man might be asking for. Maggie, the tunnel arrives far more quickly than you had thought it would, even at the train startup. While you're not necessarily particularly educated on the engineering aspects of starting and stopping a train um, this train seems to just get up and go as necessary and when it does the tunnel swallows the train and it's as if a blanket of darkness is pulled over everyone inside um, the lights flicker a little bit in here as staff try to get them going again several people gasp and you begin to feel a surge of pain in your left arm. I was just thinking Maggie would probably be one of the people that gasped as well. <laughs> yeah. It's not that you gasp because of the darkness like mm -hmm. other people do, but when that darkness comes over the train in the tunnel, yeah. you're out from elbow to wrist. It feels like something bites down on your arm. Uh, Richard! Richard! And Richard looks Help. around. Um, Maggie? What? It's, it's my arm! It... 
it, it's in terrible pain. Did, did you have that special bracelet on? Uh, it's, is it still there? Um, so you look down and it's not. No, it's, it must have fallen off or, or it was taken. I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I, it's not, I don't have it anymore. Uh, there's a, a, a thief in our midst. Um, Richard will look on the floor to see if he can see this copper bracelet. Yeah, it's it's a little dark in here, so oh, I won't uh, well, I won't necessarily make you uh, roll anything. It takes a little while to find the bracelet, probably more than three or four heartbeats. Uh, but you don't find it in the in the shape or manner that you thought you were going to. The copper bracelet itself has turned a rather sickly pale green. Richard, have you found it? Um. Yes, we can try it. Here. Maggie, he hands you this bracelet, and it doesn't even look like the same bracelet anymore. What is this, Richard? Whose bracelet is this? This isn't the same. I don't know. It appears to have corroded. Copy will go green. Maggie, make a con roll. Okay. Um, This distress by Miss Bellinger is heard by the entire saloon car. Uh, That is 51 over 45. Very good. You feel just the slightest loss of bodily control. You feel like something grabs your body and mm-hmm. shakes it around a little bit, mm-hmm. and you get a little vertigo. Yeah. Um, for those of you around Miss Bellinger, the lights are starting to come back up in this saloon car here, and there seems to be something else here. You can see this kind of wide swath of it can only be described truly as blackness. This shadow that's passing over the top of the saloon car in the interior. It's as if a nasty black train smoke has been let into the cabin here and it rolls above her head and seems to waver there for a moment. Maybe one of the windows is open. You're not entirely sure. Maggie's probably kind of swaying a bit, feeling nauseous, and would probably be, like, reaching around to try to steady herself if she can, and maybe even trying to sit down. And Mr. Fraser will get her a glass of water. Oh, if you're feeling a little bit faint, a glass of water is what you have. Sit down and a wee glass of water. And put your head between your knees, Miss, Miss Ballinger. Uh, Simon, how are you reacting? This ain't natural. I am looking around the car to see if there's anything else going on, if other other folks are noticing this cloud, you know, and I'm backing away towards the wall. Okay. Um, Are you keeping an eye on it then? Uh, Well, I, I look at the cloud, then I look at the passengers, then I look at the cloud, then I look at the passengers. Because I don't know if this cloud may be caused by one of them. Lord knows we've already seen some crazy stuff before. (laughs) Indeed. Um, So yeah, you keep an eye on it. Um, Mr. Frazier, you go and and collect a glass of water. The staff is, is of course, seeing her, um, we'll say, histrionics. Uh, they are more than happy to provide you with a glass of water. Um, Maggie, the pain turns from a six to a nine. Um, oh and you God. feel like something's trying to rip your arm off. Yeah. 
cold water onto uh, a napkin or something and uh, and give mm-hmm. it to Maggie to, to uh, apply to mm-hmm. to the uh, afflicted area. He doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's trying to help. <laughs> and she's probably just clutching her arm to her her body. Mm-hmm. And um, she would even tr- she would try to put the corroded bracelet on. You just do. Maybe it maybe it helps. Maybe it won't. You push the corroded bracelet on, and when you do, it crumbles in your fingers. It just comes apart. Oh gosh. Uh, you you grab the water probably in with with, or or you. Mr. Fraser sets it down for you, but he hands you this this damp cloth uh, in a hope to, to salve the uh, the area, yes? And I'm not certain the whether it's long sleeves or short sleeves that, that Miss Bellinger will be wearing, but uh, she has access to the skin on her arm for certain. Are you going to attempt his method of, of soothing the pain? No. That's dumb. <laughs> for Maggie. This is Maggie. Maggie's like, I don't need water on a towel. I need freaking copper. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Fraser, I don't I don't think what I need right now is is a cold compress. I need co- uh, copper. Um, copper. Copper stops it. Uh, yes. What, is, what, what afflicts you, Miss Ballinger? Oh, God, it, it hurts so bad, Mr. Fraser. Uh, where, where, is, where is Paul? Where is Paul? Uh, you there. Is there a doctor on the train? Paul's tried. He can't, he can't fix it. We can, we'll talk about it later, but if you have anything copper on you. Copper? Get something copper. Find something copper. So at the calls for copper, the smoke or this darkness that sits above the train that's still floating through falls like a curtain, like a wave. And when it does, it falls around you, Maggie, and seems to try to scoop you up. And at that point, seeing this shadow take more of a tangible controlled action that is what I want a sanity roll for just Maggie or for everyone oh I think everybody really you're all here to see it Maggie's always <laughs> wanted to fly so I didn't hear anyone screaming that they're covering their eyes 71 scared of a wee bit of smoke Zero three. <laughs> oh, so 71 is a fail for me but okay. very good 93 over 46. That is a resounding failure. <laughs> it is, but Mr. Fraser, the Hand of Fate, is going to ask you to re-roll that. Oh, well, uh, Hand of Fate might be wasting its time here. But might. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, there's a 46% chance. I'll get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, Hand of Fate. Um, you have certainly uh, waved mysteriously in my direction because that's a zero three. Wonderful. And I got a 36 under 62. Okay. So for everyone that passed, lose two sanity. Uh, Just a D3. Uh, Just two. And uh, as the shadow itself becomes slightly tangible, you hear the shadow rub against the carpet of the floor as the shadow becomes a little bit more dense. It thickens. And, and as it does, Miss Bellinger, and as your screams echo out into the saloon car, having failed the sanity roll, we'll, we'll get to your sand loss in a moment. You feel it wrap you up as if there's just this sopping, wet leather blanket that coats your skin. And it, the shadow, and you are propelled into the air. So for your sand loss, yeah. 
I'm going to take four points of sanity from you today. Okay. And you are now being pulled upward towards the ceiling. Um, the passengers around you are beginning one by one to either fall to their knees and, and claw at their eyes or run from the saloon car in abandon. But it is clear that something is here and something has snatched Maggie from her comfortable chair. Maggie would probably be grasping for anything around her that she could grab onto, clawing her way places. Mr. Fraser is right there. Mr. Fraser is right there. And I think, too, given my knowledge of dexterity, I think Miss Bellinger will go first, too, as we enter around. She's she's fairly quick. Yeah. Yeah, I would tr- try to claw, claw my way onto <laughs> Mr. Fraser. Okay. So I'm not necessarily keen on having a ton of rolls because I don't think that Mr. Fraser is going to uh, fight back. Oh, no, no, no. Absolutely. He'll grab hold of her. But... Um, so I guess what I would say is this then. Miss um, Bellinger, why don't you make me uh, a dexterity roll? I will give you advantage because you have a receptive audience. And uh, to just try to grab onto him to make sure that we have we know you have an anchor point in the room. All right. So that is a 40 under 85 and a 30 under 85. Okay. Yeah. So a 30 under 85 is a hard success for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you grab hold of uh, Mr. Fraser's jacket and then get a solid lock on like his his left shoulder. And it's a good thing that uh, he's uh, he's made of such sturdy stuff because the pull is uh, quite pronounced. So passing that between Mr. Fraser uh, and and or I, should, I should say the rest of the gentlemen in the room, um, dexterity scores who who would act first amongst you. Probably Simon, I think. It certainly won't be uh, Fraser. I've got 50. Oh, I have an 80. Yeah. So, uh, I suppose then that would be you. Simon, you've seen, you see it now. Here it is. The haint that you've been talking about for, you know, however many weeks and maybe days at the very least. You've been talking about them and now they're here. It's a haint. Do I see something holding her? Because, I mean, obviously it's trying to lift her. So are there... Arms, tentacles. It's most definitively, at least at, at her, um, as she's reached out to grab hold of Mr. Fraser, you can see that what seems to be at the core of this shadow is a rather sickly but yet horrific series of claw-tipped fingers that are just holding on to her. And you have a fairly good view of, of the being in the scene, uh, and so you can tell that there is something in the center of that darkness. I'm going to draw the toothpick and whack the uh, fingers off. Okay. So that is definitely a brawl roll. And that is a miss. You swing and you cut through shadow. Next. Uh, I think Mr. Fraser might be next. So uh, Maggie is currently grabbing hold of uh, his jacket whilst... Something is trying to pull her away. Is that is that what I'm getting the impression that there's actually a force trying to drag her away? Something that I can't see within this cloud of smoke. There's this cloud of, of almost smoke and, and darkness that seems to pervade. Mm. It's it's a fairly large area. And when she turned to grab at you, Mr. Fraser, what you saw was these kind of almost curtains of this slick black leather that seems to have that seems to sit at the center of this shadow. 
It's quite the sight. I am going to try and get a good firm hold of her around her waist and then um, brace myself using uh, the, the table leg or en- any piece of the furniture that's f- fixed in the in the carriage so that I can hold on to her as tightly as I can uh, against whatever it is that's trying to drag her away whilst um, I can see that Simon is already um, kind of barreling in and, and, and trying to fight it off. Okay. Yeah, I think that's... Getting a hold of her is not difficult. Uh, getting a better hold of her. I assume Miss Ballinger is going to allow Mr. Fraser to get a better hold of her. Yeah. But if you want to make any sort of headway on keeping her here, mm-hmm. it'll be opposed strength with this creature. Of course, yeah. I shall roll that. I do beg your pardon, Miss Ballinger, but uh, if you'll allow me... Zero four under sixty. You yank hard on Maggie's body, and she comes barreling towards you at a bit more, a bit faster than maybe you were expecting. And the two of you kind of land directly in one of these plush Orient Express chairs, and you see this this chair, which is normally very sturdy and very strong, kind of rock back a little bit against the side of the uh, the carriage here. And uh, it's at that point that, uh, Richard, it's your action. But you have pulled her away from this thing that had grasp on her. I can see us kind of uh, lurching backwards and collapsing in an embrace. So Richard is going to look around for um, any sort of copper. So he's thinking if there's any kind of electrical lamps on the table, if that's a thing. They're not on the table. They are positioned at places along the wall. So in each carriage, if memory serves correctly, there are four positioned on either side of the carriage walls and when fully illuminated they give complete illumination to the room and, um, and then there are, there are also ceiling mounted light fixtures as well and are there sort of any draping cables anywhere no because they'd be concealed by the more master crafted carriages so you wouldn't see exposed cable you'd have to kind of cut into the walls to get that sort of thing out so Richard has noticed that this all kind of kicked off when the bracelet went sort of green. So there's def- so there's definitely some sort of connection with the copper. I don't think he's barking up the wrong tree here. <laughs> so, and this is this is part of his scientific deduction. He's thinking, well, if he could restore some copper, maybe this could be useful. Maybe it's some, yeah. Um, so he's going to look for um, some copper somewhere. So... I guess he might look at either end of the carriage because even though the finishings of the light fittings in the wall are probably quite plush and quite nice, perhaps there's something that's a bit more utilitarian um, as you step towards the sort of outer part of the carriage. And if not, he's going to gouge something out of the wall. But So if he can see a trailing cable at the end of the carriage, great. If not, he'll be having a go at the wall. Okay, so I guess go ahead and give me a spot hidden roll. There is something you might be able to notice, um, but it wouldn't be close by. Hmm. That'll be a 93 over 60. So Okay, looks work. like you're going for the wall, Mr. Uh, yeah. Courtney. <laughs> um, so um, I guess what are you going to go at the wall with? So if there's a light fitting on there, probably the easiest, quickest thing to do will be to grab onto the base of the light fitting and just try and yank it off. Fair enough. Give me a strength roll. You'll probably just be hanging by the light fitting. <laughs> oh, 0-9. Oh. Um, so you rush over and grab a light fixture and pull it off of its moorings. Uh, there's a rather satisfying pop from um, the nails or, or screw heads as they come away from 
the, uh, the carriage ball and you see a very long cable of copper come with it because of course electrical wiring uh, here it is uh, so you have that now in hand um, you probably would have to pull a bit of a length of it out to get it to kind of go anywhere or to be useful but it, it is available to you now and you have inexorably changed this um, this compartment or this uh, this car now excellent so he's going to try and pull harder to detach the cable from whatever it's plugged into yeah you can pull the cable and pull it out of its um, fused socket hmm and now you have a two-meter-long piece of cable. I'm not sure whether this stuff needs to be bare or not, but he's going to... I don't know how much of this is, is an action and how much I'm going to get away with here, um, but he's going to try and sort of uh, loop some of it up and, and stick it over Maggie's arm. Wonderful. So you loop some of it up. You can get to... You'll have to do it next round. Sounds good. <laughs> so that said, um, this being of shadow seems to expand very rapidly it pushes out and as it pushes out you see the shadow and the smoke peel away from its body and there is this rather sickly grouping of bones and muscles that are almost dehydrated they're tight and and very taut with age its face is non-existent there's a big black oval where it's face should be. It's got these very pronounced horns. So for those of you who might be semi-religious, this appears to be one of Satan's brood that has come amongst you. It sits and almost hovers in the air there on a thick and whip-like tail. And at the left and right-hand side of the body, it has these long, kind of gangly arms that hang seemingly lifeless until they don't. And it leaps forward to seize Maggie. I interpose myself. Well, it's going to get its action. I'm still holding <laughs> on to Maggie as firmly as I can. You have had your action, sir. This this thing will get its action now, Simon. Um, yeah, no, absolutely, Mr. Fraser. I know that you're holding on to her. She will, um, you'll, you'll be able to oppose its uh, potential. Um, it wants to steal Miss Bellinger away, and you'll get a chance to, uh, to stop that. It seizes at you, uh, Miss Bellinger. Mm-hmm. So uh, it does make the seize maneuver successfully, mm-hmm. um, unless you are going to dodge out of the way. I almost certainly am. <laughs> okay. I would like to just, uh, just grab, grab Fraser and get us both to roll to one side. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sweet rolling maneuver. Uh, 22... 42. Okay, so that's a 40-point difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, my... Mine was a regular success. Yeah. I will latch onto you with these nasty, somewhat oily hands and claws. Uh, and as it does so, it pierces your flesh, and it will deal you some damage. Okay. I take it there's no additional sanity rolls required for seeing this thing out of the darkness? No, not really. I mean, what I could, I could make, here, could make you roll another one if I really wanted to. What I are you suppose, trying to? Where? How low are you trying to get me here? Really, really low. Like, <laughs> you know, limbo low. How low can you go? Um, so, uh, Miss Bellinger, if you take two points of damage for me, um, or for you, for that matter, and uh, if you feel the skin on your back and kind of 
upper right thigh get perforated by claws as it snatches its way into your flesh. That said, though, before it can do the rest of the maneuver, it's going to have to contest with Mr. Fraser's strength. So even though it, it attaches itself to you, it cannot pull you away without uh, him getting in the way. Give us a roll, sir. I will indeed. That is not a success. It's a lot of luck to spend to make it a success as well. I'm assuming I'm not able to push this roll because we're in, it's in combat. Yeah, because it's not technically your action. Yeah, you're not able to push this roll. So with a failure on your part, unless you would like to spend uh, luck. I have 47 points of luck. And I would need to spend 18 points of luck to make that a success because I rolled a 78 over my 60 strength. I'll be fine. Don't you worry about old mags. No, I'm going to spend the luck. I don't want this thing grabbing her. Okay. So, you had 47 luck, yes? I did. And just so we're clear, that that will put you at 29 points of luck. I am aware of this, yes. I am just making a clear and uh, precise entry in the record. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. But what? Mr. Fraser would not be able to live with himself if uh, his inaction and self-preservation instincts caused the, the death of Miss Ballinger, so... He's not that sort of a person. All right, very well. So you spend the luck, Mr. Fraser, and you latch on to Maggie with the desperation that can only be found in the grips of, of associated madness with the mythos. And uh, and yeah, you, you hang tight. And it doesn't have the strength it needs to pull her away, although you do feel the extra... Um, perhaps the extra jolt of pain as its claws are somewhat ripped out of her body. Oh, yeah, I, I dare say that um, Maggie's blood leaks over Mr. Fraser's uh, oh, yes. <laughs> immaculately white cuffs. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of bleach to get that out. All right, Miss Bellinger, top of the round. Well, this is awkward because before it attacked me, I was going to just use my camera to take a picture of it as an action, but now, now I feel like I have to fight it, so... <laughs> Yeah, it has attacked you. So there is that. Ah, oh, man. So when we kind of fell back on this dining area, um, it, I said, is there anything I can grab to bludgeon it with? Mm, yeah, I mean, there are there are plates. There are. Uh, um, you might be able to. Here's the thing, right? Or so. Pork. Sure, sure. There's for, there's all sorts of utensils that are likely Perfect. nearby. The issue will be the fork might not do a ton of damage. Mm -hmm. The other things that could be used in the area, like the tables and, and chairs and whatnot, are all very heavy duty. Yeah. They're meant to stay in one place. No, I kind of just want to... I would probably, in a panicked moment, uh, reach out to the table, grab whatever I could that looks like it would be good for um, smashing or stabbing and just <laughs> what well, one is the throw roll the other is a fighting brawl roll your choice mm, yeah you know uh i'm uh, about the same at them so uh we'll we'll uh we'll throw something uh off the table at him tell you what miss Bellinger, give me a luck roll Ooh, okay because this seems fun. I am lucky. You are. No, oh, seven. So you've noticed something in this uh, hubbub as, as you're almost, I want to say face down. Uh, you're facing towards, you're laying on top of Mr. Fraser as he's trying to pull you away. 
Um, when you look up to get your your bearings, two things you notice. One, there is the pain in your arm has subsided. This is likely you figure from adrenaline. Yeah. Um, the second thing you notice is that there's a very, very heavily um, created glass bottle, and it seems to be perhaps bourbon that was in use by another passenger. It's on the table nearby. It is far heavier than a fork or a knife. Oh yeah, then that's what I'm going for. If I can, if I can get some bonus movement to take a drink from it before I toss it, I would totally do that. I say, I say, have at it. Uh, this is pulp, and we're heroes. So you that's can right. Take a, take a swig before you chuck the bourbon bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you ingest a what is likely a twenty or thirty year old bourbon which helps dull the pain, and then you flip the bottle over and uh, decide to use the business end of it. Yeah. Not well, though, because um, I rolled a 58 over 20. And yet, it's key to know here that the Hand of Fate is going to step in. And so you reach out with the bottle and you swing as hard as you can. And if you didn't know it any better, Mr. Fraser, you would think that Miss Ballinger might have been a cricketer in another life. Because the swing up that she makes with this bottle connects with its, you don't even say face, it's a head? Whatever this thing is. And the bottle shatters against its face. So, Maggie, if you'd roll me a d6 plus any potential damage bonus you might have. I don't believe that I do, but that's okay. Four damage. Uh, It shatters, and you see what you think is maybe oil leak out of its skin. It's not even blood. It's black and viscous, and it slowly forms these disgustingly dark tears against this oval palette that would be his face. And then I believe it's uh, Mr. Griffith's action. Well, the creature is no longer holding on to Maggie, correct? Correct. All right, I'm going to leap onto its back and just ram the toothpick into it. Zero six extreme. Okay, so extreme extreme successes with plated weapons or impales should be maximum damage. Okay, so that'll be, and I, I do I roll my damage bonus again as well. Fifteen. Okay, Miss Fraser, you see him just in a in a rush of rage uh, leap onto this thing's back, and he brings this enormous knife out that you've seen a couple of times him use Uh, and this time he puts it to keen purpose and the stabbing motion that he makes it's not even just one strike it's multiple strikes uh, at the basically at the base of this thing's neck and as he continues to pummel it down uh, it's stapled into the floor they collapse in a heap not moving I take it no Uh, I'm still going to hold on to Maggie (laughs) is it is it done Simon, is it down? I don't know if it has a pulse, but I hope so. Make sure it doesn't get up again. You see a wing twitch. Uh, Can I saw off its head with the blade? You can if you want to. (laughs) I will. (laughs) Is this the same blade that you used uh, in Paris? It is. Once I am convinced that it is no longer a threat, I will gingerly release my hold on a Miss Ballinger. Okay. You... Release your hold. Um, Richard, are you making the proper weaving bracelet out of this length of <laughs> copper that you've stolen now from the the train? Oh, very much so. 
Um, you make a rather uh, simple loop, a series of them, and then kind of hold it tight and, and lock it in place. And Miss um, <laughs> Bellinger, you find a place to sit momentarily. Oh, ow, that hurts. You're, you're really, really hopeful the bourbon starts kicking in soon. As for the rest of you, in the moments before the train finally exits this long tunnel, there is a few heartbeats of breath between the two of you where you get to stare at this thing face down, less a face, obviously. Even its head, Simon, is misshapen and horned. But as light slowly begins building back towards the saloon car, you watch as the body evaporates in the light. And its head, horns and all, becomes nothing more than simple smoke between your fingers. Maggie, Maggie, um, try, yes, try this your... bracelet I fashioned. Oh. Yes, of course, thank you. And I'll put it on. I am going to uh, limp as fast as I can down the carriage to get Paul because I, I know well that Maggie has been uh, badly wounded by whatever this thing, this beast from the blackest pits of hell is. You, you can't wait to... Um... Use, potentially use this as an object lesson and potential further religious debates with Lady Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> you said it's not real, and I say it is, and I've got proof. Well, I had proof. and Yes, you went there and it's now disappeared. <laughs> you all saw it, all of you. Oh, I said, I, was, I just have a question. I know that a lot of people fled and some people clawed their eyes out. Is there anyone else in the car besides us? At the point that you turn around and see light in the car, no. Staff have left. People have left. You rouse uh, Mr. Maverhaven. He's, uh, he's taking a, he was taking a bit of a nap overseeing uh, Lady Elizabeth. He uh, exits out, outs into the, uh, into the hole. Uh, grab your m- medical kit and come with me as, as quickly as you can, please. Yes, yes, sir. Right away. He uh, grabs his bag and hustles up with you. Miss Ballinger has sustained an injury. She needs medical attention. My word, um, Miss Bellinger, uh, um, clearly I won't ask if you're all right. Yes, of course, Paul. Thank you. Actually, um, if, if you don't mind, Simon, would you, um, be willing to, to, um, help Miss Bellinger back to the car? I, I think that thy wound, I, well, I won't want to address it here, you understand. Of course, she should be back in her bed while she's being treated. Yes, sir. I think he more meant, uh, referred to the removal of my clothing. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I just need to get you back so you're comfortable. We need to raise your head so you don't bleed out. Stuff like that. No, no, no sir. I was referring to her decency. Please. <laughs> gestures uh, back. I'm, oh, well, yes. Um, um, the, the two of you, the three of you with Paul in, in, in trail, uh, head back to your room. This kind of bangly copper bracelet that you, <laughs> you have around your wrist now. Seemingly soothing the uh, heavy pain that you felt earlier. Staff come back into the car. I guess my question, Richard, is what are you doing with the um, fixture? (laughs) I think Richard kind of, he's going to be aware of the staff after the incident with the chair. Um, So at the earliest possible opportunity, after he's fashioned this bracelet, he would have just kind of thrown these things to one side and uh, adopted a very much, uh, what, me kind of attitude. Sure. You work hard to play it off. Um, the staff ask what happened. 
they seemed a bit befuzzled. They heard that there were a ton of people leaving this. They, they said that um, some, some dark smoke had gotten through from the train, perhaps from the tunnel. Um, you hear a lot of very strange explanations. For you, Miss Bellinger, Paul's uh, very attentive. He's a very good doctor, quote unquote, in training. Um, he does respectfully ask you to disrobe so that way he can get to the wound and attend to it. He seems very um, medically comfortable, but personally uncomfortable. <laughs> um, he's, he seems, he reds, he gets very red in the face yeah. when he asks you, like he's very shy. Maggie's not shy. <laughs> right. No, he's aware. Maggie's fine with this. <laughs> so I will make Whatever. a medicine roll for Paul. Um, so he tells you that uh, if you, wow, Jesus, Paul. All right. So that's a two. I always have faith in Paul. He begins to work to um, very carefully and with the, the proper topicals. Uh, he does have to put some stitches in the upper thigh. He's very careful about it, but he's he's quite uh, adept with needle and thread. And after he prepares it, he carefully uh, bandages it and then makes sure that uh, your other wounds are attended to as well. Over the next hour, you will heal a hit point worth of damage from okay. his roll. And then he just tells you to, uh, much like uh, uh, much like Mr. Fraser, please just stay off the leg. <laughs> We're down a lot of legs. In this. And so I think that that's a good time to end this to end. So next episode, we will be arriving in Milan and quite possibly the next leg or so in our journey. So thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your listening ears and we will see you next week.